So, um, we've done caring as a topic. I preached a number of weeks ago a message called Who Cares? And uh, then Dave came along and preached uh, about loving one another by coming alongside. And last week, um, Rob spoke about journeying together and connecting with one another's story. Uh, using the road to Emmaus as as an example. And today we're going to explore the subject of choosing life and the choices that we make. So we know this verse, don't we? Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. You see, Some would argue that free will is an illusion, that somehow we don't actually get to choose in reality because God has somehow chosen everything that's going to happen uh, in some kind of hyper-Calvinist mentality. But I do believe that we have complete control over the decisions that we make. We can choose to live in a way that is sensitive to how God would lead us and Lead, and that leads into life. It leads into the God kind of life. And we'll look at what that means later. And we can also choose not to. And for both of those choices, there are consequences. We never really escape the consequences of the choices we make. You know, I can choose to do something ridiculous. Like, you know, go up and slap Justin across the face. And I will bear the consequences of that choice. I pick on Justin because I love him to bits and he knows that I'm joking. Or I can choose to go over and hug him and I will bear the consequence. A, A shared transaction of love and grace. But we bear the consequences of the choices that we make. And we bear the outcomes, positive, negative or neutral. And some would think that not making a choice is how you escape that. But not making a choice is actually making a choice to do nothing. And that comes with its own consequences. You know, I've got a a garden, front and back. I wish that it would weed itself. I choose to do nothing. And the weeds do not respond by choosing to do nothing. They continue to grow. They continue to grow and grow and grow to the point where I'm forced to do something even though I don't want to. And what should be 10 minutes maintenance per day turns into a three-hour hack fest trying to deal with all of these weeds and overgrown plants. My indecision is actually a decision to do nothing and bears its consequences. And God wants us to be active And best make use of this free will in order to choose to go in the direction that he would have for us. Now in line with this, I've been thinking a little differently about what repentance is. I heard a great quote and I think there's so much truth in it. But the quote was this, repentance is the continual willful alignment of our hearts towards Father. Oftentimes we think that uh, repentance is a 180 degree turn and a complete shift. But if we 
use the analogy of life as a journey. Imagine if you were walking along and every five minutes you were turning around and going the opposite way and then going around and going the opposite way. You'd, you'd never get anywhere in your journey, would you? You'd constantly, constantly being tread, treading the same path. But I like to see repentance, and I think this is what that phrase means, as the continual realignment. So it might be a few degrees that we change direction in order to respond to the heart of Father as he woos and draws us. But the continual direction that we're going in is that towards becoming more and more like him, which will be finished, that work will be finished in glory. I don't think any of us are going to fully resemble Jesus this side of the veil, are we? Well, I won't at least. I don't know about you guys. You're not admitting it by by the sound of it. But I'm not going to look like Jesus in his fullness any time this side of the veil. I'm getting there step by step. I'm making realignments and adjustments as I feel led by the Holy Spirit in my pursuit of Father. But the reality is, is when we cross the veil that we are truly like him. Amen. So, our life is a journey and we must travel with a deep consciousness of God. And you know, when we incline our hearts to God, we learn what it is to be in conscious union with him. And, you know, sometimes though, we need help from one another to help discern what God's will is for us, what God is saying to us. You know, because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I find that God says something and I'm kind of going, did you really say that, God? (laughs) Really? Really? I kind of figure it's God because there's no way I would have imagined some of the things that he's prompting me. But I need some discernment. I need some help from other people on this journey in order to get that sense of what God is saying. Other times we know what he's saying, but we don't really want to hear it. And again, this is where journeying together, we learn to come alongside one another and receive together what it is that the Lord's saying. It might be a challenge or a little nudge or a push or a yes you can or something like that. But in this journey of life, direction for the journey doesn't often come solely to us. It comes in the communion that we have one with another, especially in the things of God. So as an example, you know, um, over nine years ago now, we moved here to Liverpool We had a great church in Coventry. There was no natural reason why we should get up sticks and go. We were involved in ministries that were really working, bearing lots of fruit. And yet in our hearts, we knew that there was an inkling, Liz and I, that we would finish here soon and move on. And, you know, one one day we visited Liverpool and as we were just turning onto the M57 to, to come back, Liz bursts into tears. And I'm like, it wasn't that great a visit. (laughs) What was all the tears about? And she knew in her heart that Liverpool was the place that God was calling us to. Now, you might think that, okay, done, dusted, that's great. Yes, we're going to move to Liverpool. But that would be an unwise choice. What we did, I witnessed with it straight away. But what we did then is seek the counsel of other people who would hear alongside us and confirm that word. 
So we got together with our pastors, John and Karen, with other friends that we trusted, and we talked to them about this experience and about how God was leading us and asked them to pray. Will you pray with us? Will you journey with us in this? Will you listen to the Lord with us and give us your feedback? And lo and behold, after a week or two had passed, I can't remember the time frame, to be honest, they did. They confirmed it. They said, yes, we believe this is of God. This is something that we believe you should do. And set the, the ball in motion, the wheels turning. And over the process of that uh, year, we came to be here. And the rest, as they say, is history. But this is the kind of thing that we must do as brothers and sisters. You know, no one person has the full counsel of God. We're all parts of the body, every joint supplying. And that often means that when we're stuck, when we need some guidance and direction in life, we need to be in relationship with other people who are listening to the Lord in order to help us make wise choices. Paul exhorted and encouraged the Thessalonians and said, Like a father with his children, we exhorted Parakaleo, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to lead a life worthy of God. And in the book to the Romans, he says, I myself am certain of you, brothers, that you are full of what is good, complete in all knowledge, able to give direction to one another. So that direction that we give comes by way of exhortation, an earnest advice, an earnest seeking together to come to a conclusion. And it's something that we can gift to one another if we're humble enough to receive it. And humility is key here because you know what? Some of us make decisions without seeking counsel and then get into all manner of error and all manner of trouble. So save yourself some trouble and consult. Consult wisely. So, I want you to turn your attention to uh, the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Because here we see an example of someone coming alongside, in this case it's Jesus, to help another person who was at a point of decision. John chapter 5, and we're going to go from verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well, and whatever disease he had uh, was made well of whatever disease he had. Sorry. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. 
took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, who, he who made me well said, take up your bed and walk. So this, this example here is of a man who had an infirmity 38 years. I don't know about you, but I would be pretty disillusioned about having something, a suffering condition like that for so long. Anybody have those cars? On Olive Road, just at the side. Okay. Thanks, Long. No worries. So, thir- 38 years of pain. I can imagine that his thought process might have been something like Will I ever be rid of this pain? Will anyone actually help me? How will I ever manage to get into this pool first? This man was stuck. I think the most tragic thing in this is that he had no one to help him. Because I think there's something about bearing pain that isn't so bad when you're not on your own. Anybody witness with that? If I'm going to go through pain, I'd like to go through it with somebody else rather than on my own. Amen. In his outer world, he was riddled with whatever this infirmity is. I'm presuming it's something to do with his mobility, although the scripture isn't explicit about what that is. If he was struggling to get into the pool itself, you can assume it's something mobility related. But I think that there's more to do with this than just this external physical pain. Do you think perhaps that he had resigned himself to think that nothing is ever going to change? That in his inner person, that he had come to this sense of resignation that meant that hope had all but been extinguished? I do. And you know what? I can probably tell you that statistically there's probably people in here that feel exactly the same way. That all hope has gone that any sense of change in what is a difficult situation for you is probably, it's just probably not going to happen for you is where you're probably at right now. And I want you to know that Jesus has something to say to people in that situation. It's this. Do you want to be made well? Sounds like a stupid question in light of what's happened, doesn't it? You'd think that this man would jump up and say, yeah, come on, I've been waiting for this all of my life. But he doesn't. Immediately he goes on to say, but I've got nobody. I think sometimes when Jesus asks us that question, we too respond in that same manner, that we've almost become so... 
weighed down in our own identity by what it is that afflicts us, that we can't see that there even is a way out of this. Do you want to be made well? But I don't, but I can't, but I need, but I haven't. What Jesus was actually saying was, do you actually want your world to change? Do you want this circumstance to be different? I think that Jesus wanted to actually speak into his hopelessness. I think what he wanted to do was rekindle something of a vision of what could be, where previously it had gone to sleep, if you like. That vision had died. And I think that we also need a reawakening in areas in our lives where we too have had that sense of infirmity for so long. Where we too have had that sense of hopelessness for so long. And this isn't an easy thing to do. Let's be honest. If it was so easy to get out of this, then we would all be in a place of so so much hope, so much faith, so much strength, so much joy that we wouldn't even need to talk about journeying together in the midst of this suffering, right? I think one of the most difficult questions to answer is why. Some, well, why, why bad things happen to good people? You know, why is it that Liz and I were infertile for 17 years? Or that Dave has type 1 diabetes? Or that some people that we pray for die? Or that some people that we pray for live? Why? Isn't it... Isn't it Am I the only one who thinks that's a difficult question? See, what I see promised by God is that no matter what we go through, he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. Amen. And I don't see God exempting himself from suffering either. What I see in Christ is someone who was acquainted with grief and suffering, who knew what it was like to bear lashes on his back so that by his wounds we might be healed, and who knew what it was to be reviled and spat upon and spoken ill of, falsely accused. And if you can't see the cross as anything other than the greatest injustice that the world has ever seen, then you aren't seeing the cross right. An innocent man put to death. An innocent man put to death. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. He didn't leave him in his inner despair. He didn't leave him without hope. He didn't leave him all alone. 
I think one of the beautiful things about this story is that he that was alone was no longer alone. That he who'd had nobody was sought out in this crowd and made whole. And in the prayer meeting this morning, John talked about Zacchaeus. And I thought, man, this fits so well. Here was another man who was probably, in his own mind, the least in the pecking order. Hated and reviled by all as a tax collector. And Jesus spots him amongst the crowd, beckons him to come down and says, I'm coming to eat with you. I'm coming to be with you. You were on your own. You were outcast from society, reviled, yet I am going to be with you. I am going to come into your world and I am going to make a difference. I find that beautiful and utterly humbling. I sometimes think that we go through situations that aren't ideal because I think in those situations in which we struggle and suffer, we learn some lessons. And please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that God puts you in these situations to teach you a lesson. No. Okay? But I think we find ourselves in this situation and they can be used for us to grow and develop. For example, love suffers long and is kind. If we never suffer, how can we learn long-suffering? <laughs> Love endures all things. If we have nothing to endure, how can we learn to endure all things? If the purpose of life is to learn to love well and love is defined by these things that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 so eloquently put, then how can we learn to love unless we learn to endure and walk through together in these things that are less than ideal? I know that I have a greater sense of patience, of endurance, of humility, and this sense of trust and grace You know what? I've had to learn to trust God in the midst of the things that I can't understand or explain. And it's done me the world of God to learn to trust. You know, it's not an easy subject to, to talk about, is it? Suffering and how it affects us. But I take great comfort in knowing that I don't suffer alone. That he has promised never to leave me nor forsake me. And that in this journey that we call life, we walk it with God at our side and with each other at our side. That's the way it's meant to be. And there is a tension, isn't there, between the kingdom now and the kingdom of not yet. In the kingdom to come, there will be no suffering hallelujah there'll be no more tears there'll be no more pain but in the kingdom not yet there still is sadly 
And we do still have to learn how to overcome and trust God in the midst of circumstances that are difficult, really difficult at times. And even in that time, we have choices, don't we? We don't always choose what happens to us. Sometimes, like Dave was talking about earlier on, like that lady, we suffer grave injustices. So it's not just about the choices that we we make. Sometimes people make choices that affect us. We don't get to choose our parents. And, you know, for me, that's worked out great. For you, maybe not so much. We don't get to choose, you know, how we look or how tall we are. We don't get to choose our gene pool or whether we've been born with some hereditary condition. But we can choose what we do with it all. Hallelujah. You may have suffered a grave injustice. You may have gone through suffering. You may have gone through something totally horrendous, but you can choose, like that lady, to find the path of God in the midst of it, how God would lead you in the midst of it, that he may be glorified and his purposes would not in any way be curtailed. You know, Jesus in his resurrected body still bore the scars on his hands and on his feet. I find that amazing. That even in resurrection and in life, in this Zoe life, the life and the light of the world, he still had the scars He still bore the scars of what he went through in his suffering and in his passion. But I think that those scars make the story yet more beautiful. Because it shows us a God that knows how to go through the things that we go through. And in solidarity with us can come alongside us when we suffer. God doesn't absence himself from these things. God is very present in the midst. And I thank him all the more for it. And whilst I would like to promise you that in your life, everything's going to go your way and there's only going to be blessings and you're going to be happy, healthy, wealthy, prosperous. I cannot. But I can promise you that God will be with you in the midst of it all. And I can promise you that if you will choose what you will do with that and turn it into something that becomes a testimony before God, that you can still find the purposes of God throughout all of that and find a way that God will be both glorified and magnified and his power will be made perfect in that weakness. Paul's thorn in the flesh Sometimes I don't understand why God never took it away. But I think it's revealed in the passage itself. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. 
God's not after strength. God's not after strength. Doesn't need strength. He's got plenty of his own strength. Doesn't need yours. But that his power is made perfect in our weakness is amazing. Wow. Just wow. Come on. That his power is made perfect in our weakness. William Glasser, a well-known American psychiatrist, says that when we help people, we first have to help them face the reality of the circumstance. Then we have to introduce them to what he calls his second R, which is responsibility. He says, we may not have chosen what has happened to us, but we can choose what we do with it now. No matter the circumstances, we still have the power of choice. Back to the very start, that free will. And we can choose life. If we do, resignation gives way to acceptance, which in time gives way to hope, which in time renews our joy, which in time renews our strength. When Liz and I went through that infertility journey, we went through a period of resignation. It's never going to happen. What's the point? There's no point in getting our hopes up. Every month they're going to be dashed. It's a miserable place. It really is. And it, but instead of wallowing in that sense of resignation. God was able to lead us alongside others into a place of acceptance. Okay, so this might not happen. Or it certainly might not happen the way that we think it's going to happen. We can still find God in the midst of this. We can still follow God in the midst of this. We can still hold his hand in the midst of this and follow him to find out what his purposes are in the midst of this. And our hope began to be renewed. Actually, life wasn't over. Don't know about you, but we had everything planned. Down to the nth degree. In fact, we always do, don't we, from childhood. When I grow up, I'm going to be, boom. Then I'm going to find somebody, boom. Then I'm going to get married, boom. Then I'm going to have kids, boom. Then they're going to be professional golfers and footballers, boom. And then they're going to, you know, and you've got, you know, you may as well have got it all mapped out to the point of your death on whatever date it is that you've predetermined. But when a stumbling block takes place, When all of a sudden you come against a wall, boom. It's not happening that way anymore. It's very easy to get into that sense of resignation. And that's probably what that that man in the story had. 38 years of facing that. And yet in one moment with Jesus, one moment with Jesus, That resignation turned from 
something, a hopeless situation to a hope-filled situation that he responded to with a choice to get up, pick up his mat and walk. So in whatever situation you face, whatever suffering you're going through, whatever hardship you're facing, there is a call from Jesus to get up, pick up your mat and walk. Go from resignation to acceptance to hope, to joy, to strength, to purpose. Because God's not going to leave you alone in this. Never will he leave you. Never will he abandon you or forsake you. So what might look like a desperate situation can turn into the greatest of testimonies. I've got a testimony. I've got a testimony of what it's like to walk through the fires and through the waters and come out with an answer from God that wasn't yes. It was, have you considered something different? One of the hardest things for us to face is a no from God, isn't it? Or a not yet. Talking to Mike earlier on, you know, one of his questions was, how long, oh God? We got to know from God, you're not going to have natural children. Little did we know that God's answer was something completely different in adoption. We just didn't know, did we? We didn't even think about that to start with. Our hearts would, I don't know, God just led us on this path that took many years. But somehow we got to where we are today with a different story and a testimony of how God led us in a different course correction to the place that he intended for us all along. To his glory. Because I tell you what, having adopted kids, I've learned to love in a greater way. A greater way than I even thought possible. My heart has been broke in that process and remade. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And your heart might be broke in your situation, but it too can be remade. Choose wisely, people of God. Choose wisely. Put your faith and your trust in the loving God and Saviour Jesus. Allow him to move and direct you. And don't give in to despair. And where you need it, let people come alongside you and impart to you some wisdom, some guidance, some comfort, some consolation, some hope. Because we're not meant to be alone. I take God seriously when he said it's not good for man to be alone. I think God knows what he's talking about, right? So as the people of God, let us commit to one another that we are going to be encouragers and exhorters, that we are going to be people who know how to choose wisely and seek wise choices with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.